the way we spend our time is the way we spend our lives. Carpe diem, seize the day. Time is something that we can never really wrap our hands around, yet it seems to govern our days and controls our lives. 1,414 minutes, or 86,400 seconds, is given to us anew every 24 hours. And even though we are all given the same amount of time, some multiply it, some waste it, and some never seem to have enough of it. I know you can relate because without even thinking about it, most of our conversations are governed by time. See if you can relate to some of these conversations that you might have had. Hey, mom, what time is dinner? Do you know what time I'm supposed to pick up the kids? What time is the meeting tomorrow? Hey, do you have a little bit of time for a quick phone call? Or, hey, I'm sorry, I don't have time to pick them up. Hey, if you have a second, could you run by the store? Hi, I'd like to make a reservation. Sure, Mr. Cork, what time? This is such a waste of time. What time is our flight today? In school, they say, get out a piece of paper. This is a timed quiz. In sporting events, we say, time out. And the list goes on and on. There was a poster the man was carrying outside a picket line, and it read like this, time heals all wounds. Time and a half heals them faster. <laughs> I don't know if you listen to much music, but if you did, there's a lot of songs that have the word time in the title. And I bet you don't know what the top five songs are or look them up lately, but I'm going to help you with that. So here's what I need you to do. Saturday night, you awake, you seem a little sleepy. I know it was like 98 degrees outside, but you're, you're ready to go? Okay, I'm going to name the song, and then you're going to tell me who sings it. All right? You ready? Seriously, come on. You're, yeah. There's like one person with, yeah, that's great. Sure. Hey, does anybody really know what time it is? What group sang that? Yeah. Back in time. Huey Lewis in the news. See, you're smart. All right, I'm going to play you this one. Tell me who it is. Song's called Good Riddance. It's something unpredictable, but in the end it's right. I hope you have the time of your life. Green Day. There are no prizes tonight for your answers, but thank you for participating. How about this one? The out-of-tune guitar. said it. Nice. And this is the number one. Well, it, I'm just going to be honest. It isn't, but it is my number one song. <laughs> See if you know what it is. Okay. If I could turn back time, if I could find a way 
right? Some of you want me just to keep playing. All right. Time. What is time? Is it the movement of the second hand on a clock? Is it merely the turning of a calendar from one day to the next? If you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And as we talk about time tonight, is Solomon looking at time through the lens that governs all of our lives here? I really don't think so. I don't think he's just looking at time, but I think he's looking at God's timing in everything that goes on under the sun. And when we're done today, I hope you will understand, and I hope you're going to leave with with this thought in your mind, that God makes all things beautiful in his time, and his timing is perfect. God makes all things beautiful in his time, and his timing is perfect. Or like this, his beauty plus his time, plus his timing, equals perfect. And according to God's word, God does everything at just the right time. But so many times from our vantage point, we believe that God's timing is wrong. (laughs) Many times we think God's not even close to being right, let alone being perfect. Your perspective, your viewpoint on how you see time will change everything in your life. I want to start tonight in chapter 3 in the middle of the chapter because this verse sets up the entirety of chapter 3. It's verse 11 and it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That word uh, eternity in the Hebrew is translated olam, and it means time without end. See, what God does is, will be beautiful, but the problem with us as human beings is that we want to see the whole picture right now, and many times it's not that beautiful. Yet as we live as these mortal beings, we only know part and only see part of the picture. That is why to know there is something beyond, something more that we all cry out for. There is eternity that has been set in our hearts. Pascal said it this way, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person and it can never be filled by any created thing. A pastor by the name of Red Sted- Ray Stedman said this about eternity, there is something beyond Something more than humanity cries out for. The endless search for the answer beyond what we can feel or sense physically or emotionally. It is what we call eternity that is set in the heart of all mankind. Right now we only experience the part. But if we're honest, we want to understand the whole. Tonight, when we're done, uh, my son just flew in and he landed for uh, uh, just a week here at home. It's kind of a full circle moment. He's flying home uh, and he is going to perform the ceremony of one of his close friends as they're getting married. He's going to do his first wedding. And uh, this young man and him, they grew up from kindergarten on here at Friends Christian School and have been friends ever since. So he's coming in for the week. And tonight we're going to go have dinner and then we're going to go 
see Mission Impossible. And I began thinking about uh, my daughter, Ella, the youngest uh, of the three. She came home from her boyfriend's house, and they said they watched Mission Impossible 1. And, and I said, you haven't seen the Mission Impossibles? And she's like, no. And I go, how did you really grow up in our home? Because we watch those all the time, at least Nolan and I did. So we started watching them, and we watched two, and we watched a little bit of three, and then I just fast forward because I figured we weren't going to get them all in before we went and saw it tonight. But here's what I wanted her to get. I wanted her to get a sense, even though all of them don't maybe fit together, she needed to understand that this wasn't the only Mission Impossible. I don't think she even knows that there was actually a show on CBS from 1966 to 1973 starring Peter Graves. You remember that show? That's what I watched, the reruns. You see, the perspective helps you understand the whole. And it's important for us when we see God's word is we have to have his perspective in how we see time. In his book, The Vision and the Vow, Peter Gregg tells of a, a distinguished art critic that was studying an exquisite painting by the Italian Renaissance master, Filippino Lippe. He stood in London's National Gallery and he was gazing at the, the 15th century depiction of Mary holding the infant Jesus on her lap. St. Dominic and Jerome were kneeling nearby. But the painting troubled him. There could be no doubting Lipe's skill, his use of color, of composition. But the proportions of the picture seem slightly wrong. The hills in the background, they seem to be exaggerated, as if they might topple out of the frame at any minute on the gallery's polished floor. The two kneeling saints looked awkward and a little bit uncomfortable. Art critic Robert Cumming was not the first to criticize Lipe's work for its poor perspective. But he may well be the last to do so, because at that moment, he had a revelation. It suddenly occurred to him that the problem might be his. The painting had never been intended to come anywhere near a gallery. You see, his painting had been commissioned to hang in a place of prayer. The dignified critic dropped to his knees in the public gallery before the painting. And he suddenly saw what generations of art critics had missed from his new vantage point. Robert Cumming found himself gazing at a perfectly proportioned piece. The foreground had moved naturally to the background, while the saints seemed settled in their awkwardness, like the painting itself having turned to grace. You see, Mary now looked intently and kindly directly at him as he knelt at her feet between St. Dominic and Jerome. It was not the perspective of the painting that had been wrong all these years. It was the perspective of the people looking at it. You see, Robert Cumming on bended knee, he found a beauty that Robert Cumming, the proud art critic, could not. The painting only came alive to those on their knees in prayer. And the right perspective only happened on bended knee. You see, when it comes to time, the only perspective that matters is an eternal one. Because you see, with God, God makes all things beautiful in his time. And his timing is perfect. And so we read chapter 3 with that in mind, with that perspective and that context. We look at verse 1 where he says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that Solomon kind of switches it up just a bit. 
from where he was in the first two chapters. He has identified everything as under the sun. Now all of a sudden he takes an eternal perspective and tells us that there is a season for every activity under the heavens. Which means that everything in this time-bound universe is under the control and sovereign authority of our Heavenly Father. For everything there is a season, which means that nothing happens outside the will of God. God rules our days. He rules over all of our moments. And there is an orderliness to what he does and how he does things. From Genesis to Revelation, there is a plan, there is an order, there is a pattern, and there is a way that he's calling us to live out our days here on this earth. See, there's an appropriate opportunity for the way and all the things that happen. The teacher here, it's not saying that there's nothing we can do about what happens in our lives, rather that there is a fittingness about what happens in our lives, and that God does everything at just the right time. And these things are not limited to our birth, but in our death as well. And so in the next seven verses, Solomon begins to unfold and emphasize the scope of God's sovereignty with pairs of related opposites. If you've ever read it, you understand and know that each pair forms a, a mirrorism. That is a figure of speech where two polar, polarities make up a whole. Taken together, birth and death compromise the whole human existence. Weeping and laughing cover the, the full range of all of our emotions and so on. So before we read it, here are some things that might be helpful. Fourteen pairs in seven verses, which is twice the biblical number seven, which that number is a number for perfection and completion. The pairs take in the whole sweep of human experience from birth to death, war and peace and everything in between. And although we won't go through each one in detail, you will see the detail of God and his sovereign hand throughout these verses. And most of us probably read through this list from a human viewpoint. Through the lens of what humankind has done and will do. I mean, look at Solomon. This guy was a man of action. <laughs> he built great buildings. He planted amazing gardens. He gathered and created great wealth. He wrote many wise proverbs and poems. But the activities listed in this poem are also the things that God does. They are divine actions before they become human activities. So let's read together starting in verse 2. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. There is a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. We see that God is in control of all things. When we fast forward to the New Testament and we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus Christ, he was a man that was on a mission, and on a mission he was a man who always knew what time it was. There was a time for him to be born. In fact, it was at just the right time. Galatians 4 verse 4 says it this way, But when the set time had fully come, 
God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. I like the way one commentator said it. When he spoke of time and Jesus coming, he said, when the Gentiles were tired of serving the old pagan gods, when the Jews were weary of trying and failing to keep God's law, when the Greeks had given the world a common language, when the Romans had established relatively safe and easy travel across the Mediterranean, Jesus came with a message of salvation for the whole world. You see, at just the right time, there was also a day appointed for his death. He died on the exact day, not a day before, not a day after. For years, if you read the Gospels, you will see that people plotted and planned and worked at putting Jesus to death. (laughs) Yet his hour had not yet come. But you see, at just the right time, Jesus was crucified and he took on the weight of our sin and he died to cover all of our sins on a cross. At just the right time, He died for you and I. And then, at the right time on the third day, he rose again from the dead, according to the promises of Scripture, from his birth to his death, and then on to his resurrection. He never was late. He never was early. And everything was right on time. Today, uh, I did a funeral this morning for a man by the name of John Jack William Haney. Jack Haney uh, went to our church. He sat about eight rows back, either on Saturday nights with his wife, Barbara, or on Sunday mornings. And as I did this funeral for Jack, one of the things that struck me among many at this funeral was his moment came quickly. In my 31 years here at Friends, I've done probably over 100 funerals at least. And what I said today was this, none of us picked the date we were born, and none of us picked the date that we left. We live in the dash, and for Jack, his wife had gone on a trip with one of her friends and was overseas, and Jack walked out into the backyard to do a little gardening and have a massive heart attack, and he was gone. Just like that, 79 years old, fit, strong. He was not in charge of when he was born. And he was not in charge of when he would die. It comes and it says, there is a time and there is a season for everything under the sun. And every one of us understands That your day of birth was decided for you. But with an eternal perspective, your day of death has been decided decided as well. Jack had no idea, but it was one of the greatest funerals I'd ever been to. It was one of the greatest celebrations of someone's life because his life was yielded over to Jesus. And I said, man, if I could ever pick how I want to go, I wouldn't mind going that way. Yet none of us have control over that. There is a time to be born. There is a time to die. And almost every funeral service I do, I end the same way as I did today. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia said this, and I read this about Jack. 
that for us this is the end of the story. But for them it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter gets better than the one before. And I said, Jack's earthly life might be over, but the story of his life in eternity is just beginning, and the best is yet to come for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. See, we're not in control. And yet so many times we try to think and act like we are. And the only perspective that matters is an eternal one. Because it's the only one that helps us make sense of the time given to live. God makes all things beautiful in his time. And his timing is perfect. And today, whatever season that you are in, whatever is going on, whether it's a season of weeping or a season of laughter, whether it's a season of hope or a season of despair, I want you to know and remind you that Jesus still knows what time it is for you. I love what Philip Ryken says. He says this, he knows the time to love, showing mercy to needy sinners who ask him to be their savior. He knows the time to hate, standing against evil and injustice. He knows the time for war, as his church battles against Satan and the enemies of God. Soon it will be time for peace, when he will make wars to cease to the end of the earth, when he will set creation free from its bondage to the futility of our sin, and we will never suffer again from the vanity of life under the sun. Let me remind you tonight of this one called Jesus Christ that we serve and that we live for. Hebrews 13.8 says it like this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Second Peter says this in chapter 3, verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And let me remind you that whatever might make your soul anxious tonight, Jesus is not anxious about anything that makes you anxious and he says come to me all of you no matter what season you are in and I will be with you not just for now but for eternity A.W. Tozer said God dwells in eternity but time dwells in God he has already lived all our tomorrows as he has lived all our yesterdays but in the meantime, what do we do? What do we do with this time that God has given us to live? A few things. First one is this. Make the most of your time. Make the most of your time. See, the way we spend our time is the way we spend our lives. And Jesus calls us to make the best of every moment. See, his lordship is not just over the biggest events in history. It's also over every moment of our everyday life. And we shouldn't measure our time in hours or minutes, but we should measure it in seeing the opportunity God has given us to serve and honor him with our lives. I just want to say, as you plan your life, make sure you make room for God's plan. Legendary coach Bear Bryant of the Alabama Crimson Tide wrote this poem, and he used to carry it around in his pocket every day. 
And it said this, this is the beginning of a new day. God has given me this day to use as I will. I can waste it, or I can use it for good. See, what I do today is very important because I am exchanging a day of my life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone. Forever leaving something in its place, I have traded for it. I want it to be for gain, not loss. Good, not evil. Success, not failure. In order that I shall not forget the price I paid for it. Make the most of your time. One of the things I love about being on staff here is there are people like Holiday that make the most of her time. All the things that started out of our Orange campus were because God began to birth something inside Kyle and Holiday. And all the things that are going on around the corner are because she said yes to Jesus over and over and over again. And there's so many things that have happened since she said yes because she was just willing, like she told you, to serve God. And there's nothing greater. She's making the most of her time because when God speaks, she actually listens and she goes forth. And that community is being changed. And all the things that are happening in the city of Orange and what the city's doing and what the state's doing, we'll let you in on in a little bit. But God is using the hub resource to actually change people's hearts and lives because she decided to make the most of her time. Second thing is put your time in the hands of God. Put your time in the hands of God. The psalmist David, he cried out, he said, bless the Lord at all times. Because David knew whatever time it was, God was still in control. See, God makes all things beautiful in his time, and his timing is perfect. And our hearts will always be restless in this world until we actually find rest in him. Make the most of your time, but put your time in the hands of God. Because listen, eternity is the only perspective you should have. If you're living for this life, we all know and we understand. And every time I stand at a funeral, I give the hope of Jesus Christ. Because if one person comes to know who he is, then it will be worth it all. And when we put our time in the hands of God, what we are saying is, God, you have control of everything that I do. Which he already does, by the way. Put your time in the hands of God. Francis Chan does a great illustration when he was back teaching high schoolers. It's a long rope. Good grief. But I want you to pretend something tonight. When you think about time, I want you to look at, at this rope. I'll stretch it out all the way across this stage. And I want you to look at it, and I want you to think that the white part is eternity can't even fill the stage it's so long it goes on and it goes on and it goes on forever and this little red part represents your life here it's about that big and yet so many of us spend so much time worried about the only thing we know to worry about and that's the red part and many of us are at the point where we've, we've saved and we've saved and we've saved and we're ready to retire and we're going to live for this much of the red part. We're going to travel 
and we're going to eat well, and we're going to enjoy our life. And trust me, there's nothing greater than that. But I want to remind you, it's about that much of the little red part of your life. And so many people in the world don't ever think about or prepare for eternity, which means it never ends. It goes on for millions and millions and millions of years. And we invest so much in this, in the wrong thing. That's why I always say, I have the greatest job ever. I get to be a part of helping people live for eternity. I get to be a part of helping people make decisions about their time and their talent and their money that affects eternity. I can't get lost and caught up in this, but neither can you. And so many of you right now, if you were honest about your time, the only thing you're thinking about is this. Christ comes along and he says, listen, I was there when you were born. I'm going to be over when you die. You need to figure out how to live for me in the dash. Because living for this doesn't compare to this. Tonight, Scripture comes and says, carpe diem, seize the day. Make the most of what God has given you. Because all of time is in his hands. You know along with that, it doesn't mean you can't have fun. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy what God has given you. If you look at verse 12, I wasn't even going to read it, but Kyle told me he was doing it tomorrow. So I said, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll read it then. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. God wants you to be happy in the little piece of the red. That each of you may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. God does it so people will fear him. He comes and he says, hey, enjoy. Enjoy, but put it in perspective. It's not for very long. And like Jack, it could go tomorrow. The question is, are you using your time for the right things? Because eternity is at stake. I'm grateful that we've been given this time. I'm grateful that God's timing is perfect. Perspective matters. So live with eternity in mind. Tonight, if you've never ever made a decision for Jesus Christ, you can. Romans 5, 6 says this, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2 says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. I just ask you, today to make the most of your time. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. But I would ask you right now if you would take your communion elements and if you would stand with me. We are going to prepare for communion. In a moment, we're just going to sing and then I will come back and do the elements together. But before I do that, I would just ask you to bow your heads in prayer. Father God, thank you that you are in charge of all time. 
Thank you that we are in your hands, that we are loved and cherished and given this time to live for your glory and for your honor. I thank you for every person that is here. And I thank you for the season that they are in. And I pray to your God above all else, tonight we will know that your time is perfect. That God, you know us from beginning to end. And you have given us this time to make a difference for you. I thank you for the great examples we had of holiday tonight. Thank you for what's going on in the city of Orange. I thank you for the example to me today that Jack was. Thank you for a life well lived. And I thank you, God, that our perspective tonight can be fully realized in making sure that our eyes are on you and that we live with eternity in mind. And tonight, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Father, simply in their heart, they could just simply say, Lord Jesus, uh, now is the time for my salvation. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I want to know you as my Lord and Savior. And God, we thank you that you do just that by faith when we give ourselves over to you. May we honor you this week with our time. May we remember that everything is in your hands. And God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on a cross for all of our sins at just the right time so that we could know you and be in relationship with you. It's in your powerful name we pray all these things. Amen.